I'm Jacob Tackett. And I'm Dylan Curtis. And this is the I'm Wondering Podcast. Hey guys, uh, welcome back this week, episode 28. Uh, we're going to continue in this two-part series on men- <laughs> mental health in the church. We need some levity here, have some it's laughs. It's like Blue's Clues, man. <laughs> <laughs> Hannah and I argued about what <laughs> Blue's... Uh, it wasn't like an argument argument. Sure, we sure. Just, we, uh, we went back and forth on what Blue's actual sound was, and I always remember it as... And she thought it was something. She thought it was like... Burr, 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 burr. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably not accurate. Uh, Sorry, honey. <laughs> R.I.P. Steve. Didn't he mm. Didn't he die by suicide? Yeah, the first Steve did, yeah, actually. Yeah, that's what I thought. Oh, man. Ugh. This is heavy, Dylan. Why'd you do that? I'm sorry. I bet he was struggling with something. That'd be interesting. He now, probably was. Look yeah. at us. So prophetic in what we're talking about. Super. Um, but yeah, thank you uh, for joining us this week. Um, we know last week was pretty heavy. It was a lot. Um, if you're like me, you had to take a few breaks and come back and listen and whatnot. So uh, we're going to pick this up uh, this week. We're going to talk about a little bit of the history of mental health in the church and what clinical depression is and some uh, give you then some practical steps for paths to help. Um, and we'll end uh, our conversation with a fun little I'm wondering question for you. And so uh, with that, let's get after it. Okay, well, let's get to it after a very weird intro, but, you know, we're just trying to be real, just trying to keep it real and and, uh, have some good conversation, and sometimes you got to laugh when it hurts. You know, sometimes that's all you can do. Patch Adams was right, and it comes back to it. Why are you doing this to me, Dylan? I'm sorry. Well, anyways, we're going to (laughs) just... Anyways, we're going to do, uh, so let's start with the history of mental health in the church. So, uh, I kind of took a few shots at some of these mentalities, but I think um, at least experientially uh, and within my own family um, and their history in the church, um, these have been very common responses and yeah. kind of the the way people have been told to deal with mental health. Um, so, one of the first ones, of course, is pray it away. Um, I want to first say prayer is extremely important. Absolutely, uh, Prayer, when you're dealing with any situation, and, and of course mental health, is vital. Um, so I don't want to come off as, as if prayer is not useful or helpful or beneficial. Um, it absolutely is, and I would say it's even essential. Um, but that doesn't mean that your prayer will get rid of the situation or that God would even choose to heal you. Um, and I think there is, you mentioned um, that God would use mental health to the glory to the glory of himself, and I would agree. Um, I didn't really share this, I guess, um, but coming back to this, that idea, like because of what I went through, I'm almost, and I hate to say it this way, but it is kind of how I feel, I'm almost thankful for what God has done through my story um, and the people I've been able to talk to and help and uh, yeah. show compassion and love to. I don't love that I went through what I've gone through and, and dealt with it and have to be conscious of it the rest of my life. 
but I have seen God's glory through my weakness, and I am thankful for that. Um, and I think God does do that. So that's just an aside that I forgot to say. But yeah, prayer. I think it is important to pray, but I don't think it means it's going to go away. Yeah, it definitely... I don't want to keep reiterating, but yes, prayer is important, but it's not a weapon to like throw at somebody because you think that they are more spiritually immature than you are right. because you're not struggling with it. Um, so yeah, I would still say like if you're walking along some alongside somebody who is struggling with some mental health issues, like, yeah, I think we can talk to them about praying, um, but not about praying, praying it away. Because oftentimes we get this misconception that if we are praying for it and praying for it for 10 years, God doesn't take it away. We're angry and we don't believe that yeah. God's answering for prayer, but maybe it's just not, God's not going to take it away on this side of heaven. So uh, yeah, we definitely don't need to weaponize prayer to make people feel like, they're dumb or have less faith than someone. Yeah, and I would also say, um, don't just say you'll pray for them. Pray with them. If they're if you're in a space where it's appropriate and you can do it, just pray with them then and there. Um, and I've been guilty of not doing that, and yeah. I would like to be more conscious of that in my own life. But um, pray with people. Yep. Don't just say, oh, I'll pray for you, or you go pray it away. Yeah. Um, and don't allow saying, I'll pray for you, to be your prayer. Yes. That's not That's, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, and that leads into you talking about spiritual immaturity, if you will, and how that maybe is what people will say. Like, you're not spiritually mature because you're praying and it's not going away. It it uh, it always follows. Have more faith. Just have some more faith. Yes. Um, I have a very, very deep faith in God <laughs> and am very, very convicted of that faith, um, yet that didn't remove my issue, yeah. um, and it often doesn't. Um, and I would say sometimes, and this is going to maybe be spicy, hey. uh, controversial, I think sometimes people who are going through that might even have a deeper faith because their humanity, and again, this at least is my experience, their humanity is so exposed because of their weakness, they realize like God is the only thing they mm. have. Um, and so it teaches a sense of humility that people might experience when they lose at something, lose in a competition or don't get a job promotion, that kind of humility, you really experience it when you go through the sense of like, I have literally no ability to overcome this. Um, and God is my only hope. Um, but there is an ability. So that sounds kind of nihilistic. It's sorry. <laughs> there is, there are options, but that's how you feel in that yeah. moment is like, there's nothing I can do and if you do have faith, like that is literally it. You are in the boat with Jesus, mm. and that's all you got in that moment. But Dylan, all you need is the faith the size of a mustard seed to move mountains. To move mountains. Yes, uh, and that is what Jesus said. Absolutely. Um, but again, I would say God does things to His glory. I do know people who've prayed, and their mental health has gone away. Yeah. And I praise God for that. Uh, that didn't happen for me, but I do believe it's for His glory. So. Um, answer to prayer is not just the answer you want. Yeah. So, I, yeah, that's a hard one, though, faith of a mustard seed. Maybe we'll talk about that sometime. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, and then, of course, uh, one of my favorites, um, and we kind of hit on this already, is that you might be demon-possessed. 
And again, I'll, I will reiterate that I think everyone who has been demon-possessed, or maybe they are demon-possessed, because I do think that still happens, uh, do have mental health problems, because they're demon-possessed, but not everyone with mental health problems is demon-possessed. Yes. So let's uh, let's clarify on that. So, But I've heard that one a lot. It's just demons. Yeah. Um, not very helpful, obviously, for clear reasons. Not helpful. <laughs> At all, Yeah. And also, even if they are, like, don't you approach that as God in Mark, like we talked about and I preached about on Lent a couple of weeks ago, like, God removed the demons from the man named Legion, um, so he redeems and restores. So you can, again, <laughs> pray, pray for those people and not just say, oh, they're demon-possessed. Yeah, uh, We can have the confidence to interact with them knowing that God will deliver them. Um, so, yeah, that's my... That it's hard for me not to get really angry when I hear that for one. For sure. Um, so, Wusa. Wusa. If you've watched Bad Boys too, yeah. not church approved, but I like that movie. NSFW. Yes. Or should it be NSFC? Not safe for church. Um, uh, yeah, that's a new one. Let's do that instead. So, anyways, um, moving on from there, I think one of the other common. Um, sort of in the history of my experience in the history of the church is it's a silent topic. Um, it's not really dealt with or talked about too often. It's been treated as passe for a long time of like, well, you just need to figure it out and we don't want to talk about it or it's not real yeah. or it's just some personal made up thing. I've heard all of those. Um, so it's kind of been treated with silence, but I think that has changed more over the past like 10 years because, of course, sadly, and this is just a short list, and we accidentally obviously referenced to a show and a movie where the actors, sadly, had taken their own lives. So it's all throughout culture, of course. But we, we have Rick Warren, Saddleback Church. Many of you probably know who Rick Warren is, Purpose Driven Life. Uh, sadly, um, and I don't know how long ago it was. It might have been about 10 years ago. His son took his own life. Um, yeah. And that was a big eye-opening thing. And Saddleback actually started a mental health summit after that because it kind of woke the church up to, this is a problem. Um, so they started dealing with it. Of course, Toby Mac, some of you who are Toby Mac fans, his son sadly took his own life a couple, it's like a year ago or yeah, two. Yeah, very recent. Yeah, not too long ago. And that, uh, I just can't, yeah, it's not imaginable. Mm. Um, and then, of course, uh, Jacob had brought up Jared Wilson, who started, um, what was the organization? It's an organization that he started with his wife called um, Anthem of Hope. Sure. Um, because he, he was a pastor. Um, he's wrote, written a few books. Um, his One of his recent ones, before he um, died by suicide, was um, Oxygen is Love. And uh, being a pastor, he's a pastor of recently, um, he was his la- latest job was a pastor of a mega church called called Harvest Christian Fellowship um, that are down there in the L.A. area. Very large church. Uh, lead pastor's name's Hugh Laurie. Um, and yeah, just a phenomenal guy. I looked up to him a lot. I've, I think I talked about him in one of my sermons here. Um, a phenomenal guy. Great leader. Phenomenal husband. Great dad. Um, mentored and walked alongside a lot of people. Um he tweeted to a guy that he was mentoring um, that he was proud of him and for his vulnerability and his authenticity. And then the next day, he 
took his son to soccer practice that morning and was with his family having a great time. And two hours later, you know, grabbed a gun and took his own life because he just couldn't, the depression took over his yeah. life. And this is a guy who has a, had a very deep rooted faith in God and, and in his family and even had, you know, one of the largest advocates for mental health. Yeah. Um, awareness and had his own foundation and he took his own life yeah it's it's hard it's heavy it's Mm -hmm. a lot it's so i would like for me i would just maybe succinctly put it this way like this is my lament if you will about this topic um i just think it's sad that it takes the death of prominent christians to sort of wake the church up to the conversation um and that's really what is just yeah I lament that constantly. So it's a hard one. <sighs> it is. Yeah. And I want to sit here in front of the microphone and say that, you know, the church, we should be the ones who are ahead of these issues. Yeah. Um, but we're human too. And yeah. we have our own baggage, our own things, and our own passions. And sometimes we don't think about these types of things. And, you know, I know people in our church. Um, students yeah. through adults who are mm-hmm. struggling with this right now. Um, yeah, especially right now. And it's it's hard. It, it's sad. Um, and so as we've talked about those things, we're going to kind of move into this idea and kind of define what clinical depression is because I think it's important for us to just have that out on the table. Um, and so this is kind of a long definition. Um, and so we, I am going to read it by the book um, because I think it's important. Uh, that we just have like a definite answer of what clinical depression is. And so if maybe you are like, you don't have the language to put to how you're feeling, maybe this will help give you some language around what you're dealing with. Yeah, and I would say that part of this definition that you'll read um, where it talks about a combination of biological, psychological, and social sources of distress being part of the clinical side, that's true of, of pretty much all clinical mental health issues. Yeah. Um, so we just picked depression because obviously that's one of the more common ones, and especially during the pandemic seems to be the one that's coming out the most um, in people. So Yeah. So here we go. Clinical depression, a mental health disorder characterized by persistently depressed mood or loss of interest in activities causing significant impairment in daily life. Possible causes include a combination of biological, psychological, and social sources of distress. Increasingly, research suggests these factors may cause change in brain function, including altered activity of certain neural circuits in the brain. The persistent feeling of sadness or loss of interest that characterizes major depression can lead to a range of behavioral and physical symptoms. These may include changes in sleep, appetite, energy level, concentration, daily behavior, or self-esteem. Depression can also be associated with thoughts of suicide. The mainstay of treatment is usually medication, talk therapy, or a combination of the two. Increasingly, research suggests these treatments may normalize brain changes associated with depression. Mm. It's heavy. That's a lot. Yeah. Um, and so I think it's important for us to kind of talk about what do we what do we think about this? How do we take something that um, is so medical, something that's so scientific, and how do we make that relatable? And how do we take that into our context of the church and talk about this in the church? Um, and I wish I had the perfect answer. Um, yeah, don't we all? But I think for me, um, what do we think about this? What do we do with this? Is we normalize like we have to just. 
uh, start the conversation and yeah. stop being yeah. afraid that because we're Christians, because we're in the church, that we have to have like this, that we have to be perfect. You know, like it, I know this, what I'm about to say is a cliche, but it's a cliche for a reason. It's like, you know, the church isn't for healthy people, right? Like God didn't sure. make hospitals for healthy people. Yeah. Churches are the same. Like mm-hmm. we are all broken and. I'm tired, and I'm guilty of this, but I'm tired of us walking in the church. Hey, Bobby, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm great. Good, me too. See ya. And like, yeah. like, it's so superficial and fake, and I think that's part of what we've got to break. We've got to break that stigma and be willing to be real and vulnerable with each other. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and they, you know, Jesus is called the great physician at one point, right, in Scripture. So again, that healing, healing nature, and if we are the body of Christ, if you will, as the church... Um, we obviously are called to mimic that, um, to offer spaces where people can share, obviously, mental health struggles, any struggles, um, and come and find healing. And even if that healing's not medically part of that, at least part of a healing, maybe spiritually, emotionally, communally, to experience that support and that love from people. And like reading this definition, I mean, reading it, I'm just like, yep, mm-hmm. like, because I, I have bipolar 2, and so people might not know the difference between bipolar 1 and bipolar 2. So bipolar 2 is called, it's a neurosis. So it's basically a lot in your mind, um, and essentially you're much less likely to act out um, in, I mean, I had suicidal thoughts, obviously, and came close in a lot of ways, but a lot less lower suicide rate amongst bipolar 2, um, a lot less um, attacking others, violence, um, bipolar one is um, psychosis, and so you're a lot more apt to hurt others, to hurt yourself. Um, so that's a distinguishing. So my bipolar two, not to say that it's um, less serious, but in a lot of ways it is. I'm a lot less likely likely to actually physically act out sure, because sure. of that struggle. Um, so that's one thing. And then I and then I also have clinical um, moderate depression. So I don't have major depression like some of this. Um, so not quite as bad, but yeah, I've totally slept, not slept at all, had insomnia problems, still sometimes have problems sleeping. Um, my appetite was all over the place. I wouldn't eat at all. And then I'd binge or, you know, I would eat too much in a day. I was, I was always fatigued, never, never had a lot of energy, except if I went into what's called hypomania, um, which essentially is an, yeah, I'm getting really clinical, so sorry no, about this. Great. But hypomania is essentially like your highest energy level, but you're also apt to be very depressed. So this is the state. If if you know someone who's bipolar two, it's called hypomania. If they're bipolar one, it's called mania. Um, this is the stage in which people tend to kill themselves because they have a lot of like pent up energy, but they're also very down, mm. and it feels inescapable. You're almost trapped and feel like you have to be doing as much as you can. Hence why I worked full-time and did school full-time and had 70-hour weeks in college because I was pretty hypomanic, but at the same time, I was super fatigued the entire time. So it was very weird. Like, I couldn't stop myself. I had to do something, but at the same time, I was, like, always just dead tired, Yeah. Um, and I would be falling asleep in classes and, like, just struggled, and I still passed, obviously, but that was kind of my experience. And then concentration, yeah, it was, like, super hard to stay focused on things, um, it was a big, big, like Herculean effort to to focus on school and to get that done. And then, yeah, so I had no self-esteem. Mm-hmm. I mean, I still struggle with self-esteem, but like I, I, I was a worm, if you will, um, which would fit with the Lutherans, right? Um, 
but yeah, I just had no confidence in who I was, what I was doing, felt like I was always failing. Nothing was ever good enough. My psychiatrist, <laughs> I remember this, asked me if you got like a 95, and we've talked about this and I've mentioned yeah. it, and it's it stems back to my mental health of like, if you got a 95 on a paper, would you be happy? No. Where did that, that other 5% go? Um, so that sort of stuff, like no self-esteem. I always failed at something. I could do something better than anyone else in this entire world and probably still feel like I wasn't doing it well enough yeah. and just didn't have confidence or self-esteem. So all of that, I'm like, yep, 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 yep. <laughs> and I do think it's important, and I want I, I do want to stress this, is like Dylan just shared his experience. Like yeah. he does identify with these symptoms, and he is, you know, diagnosed with depression and bipolar too. Um, I want to make, I, I want to stress, like, if you read these, like, I have times where I have issues with sleep and my appetite and energy levels and concentration and my behavior swings and sure. my self-esteem, but I'm not, I, I go sure. through bouts of depression, but I'm not a clinically depressed person. Right. So I don't want us to read these, um, this definition or you to hear this definition and identify with that and then automatically be like, oh my gosh, I, got, I must be depressed. Right. Um, so I do want to stress that side of this also. Yeah, the important keyword to me is persistent. They yes. kind of started with that persistently depressed. So no matter what you do, no matter if you've got a good diet or doing all the things you're supposed to, if you're persistently still feeling this way, that's when it's clinical. Um, and it is important to separate um, being human. Um, and that's yeah. my psychiatrist and I. I started. I've started joking. She's like, "How's your anxiety level?" I'm like, "It's you know normal human." Like four maybe like dealing with it but like nothing beyond mm. just your normal human stuff um so yeah it's that persistentness and that heaviness that continually no matter what you do you're feeling so that is important to say yep. well you're human uh yeah. and there's a lot of humans who do feel these at certain times that doesn't mean you're clinically depressed and so like there's the clinical and i think seasonal i know plenty of people who go through a seasonal time of depression uh, or what have you. Um, I had a friend who went through a bad, and that's not just like winter. For a lot of people it is. But I had a friend go through a really hard relationship breakup and was very depressed for a time after that. Um, and so I walked with them pretty much daily. Um, and then they got better. Yeah. And they didn't need any sort of therapy or medication. It was just something they were going through. So I would say don't always jump straight to it's clinical. Um, a lot of times, here's a good gauge, I think, a lot of times, if, you, if you've been feeling this since probably about middle school, it probably is a clinical thing. Uh, otherwise, it's, it's just human, and it's probably seasonal. Yeah. And I think we do have to say and admit, when, when things are given names, people associate with it. So I think, because people will say, well, mental health wasn't an issue 50 years ago. And it's like, well, now there's language. And so now you have people who I think legitimately associate with it. And then you have people who might associate with it. Um, I hate to say this, but cause it's like trendy maybe, yeah. or it's like the thing to associate with um, where it is maybe just you're human. Yeah. Um, so it's, yeah, those are maybe some, some ways to gauge where it's at. Um, yep. And then just one last thing and I'll shut up for a bit, but um, anxiety is not just fear. I hear that a lot, and and it, I get it. I think same I think, for depression. Depression yeah. is not fear. Yeah, I think fear produces anxiety for sure. Um, it's yeah, worry is yeah, 
what what good is worry? It's not going to add a day to your life, right? Jesus yeah. says that. And that's true. I think fear will always produce possibly anxiety or depression, but that doesn't mean anxiety and depression, it, that's the only cause is fear. Um, I think that's just not flat out true. Um, I think that's a mischaracterization because um, there's people who have plenty of security and safety in their life who have no reason to fear and they are overwhelmed and debilitated by depression or anxiety. Yeah. Um, so again, for some people, it is clinical. It is, it is definitely a chemical imbalance. Um, so please don't say that to people. I get it. And like, you can speak to people's fear and pray for that for sure. But that doesn't just because they have anxiety doesn't mean they're fearful. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I, I wish I could transplant my experience (laughs) and what it felt like to people. So they really get a grasp of the inescapability, the uncontrollable part of this until you get help when it comes to these things. It's good. Cause it's not just like, Oh, I'm worried. It's like, no, like I'm having a panic attack and it's not just because I'm afraid of a paper I'm going to have to turn in. Like it's just uncontrollable. So please don't say that. Yes. I know it's easy to, and it's an easy way to skirt the harder conversation, but just be mindful is all I'm asking really is to be mindful. That's good. And I'm not going to let you shut up for too long because I think you have some good things to talk about still. Um, but we'll be brief here. Um, I think, going back to like this clinical depression piece, um, whether you are feeling these on a persistent basis or just on a seasonal basis, I still want you to talk to somebody like just because it's not a persistent thing doesn't mean you shouldn't talk to somebody about it. So I think that's going to kind of lead us into our final little, um, talking point here of what are, okay, I'm, maybe I'm struggling with this seasonally, or maybe now that I have some language to it, I'm realizing that I have been dealing with this persistently, maybe since middle school, how can I help? Like, how can I get help? What can I do? What are some things that um, I can practically on a daily basis do to help myself get healthy? Yeah. Uh, one, find a confidant. Find someone you trust as much as humanly possible. Yeah. Obviously, again, human peace. We're not going to fully trust anybody. That's almost impossible. But find someone you can just express what you're going through. Say, I'm feeling this way. I don't know why. Or I'm feeling this way to have a confidant, maybe that's your spouse, maybe it's a best friend, whoever it may be, find someone you can express these things to and know that they're not going to give you just like a snap judgment and either dismiss you or whatever. They'll listen, they'll take in what you say, you know they love you, and they'll they'll kind of work with you through whatever you're thinking or feeling. Yeah. That's, that's, a, I don't, that's a non-negotiable, I think. Yeah, you need to have somebody close to you. Um Always, like I mean, going back scripturally, I mean, Jesus has the twelve, and then he has in his inner circle Peter, James, John, um, that he is very close with and shares with. Yeah, and I just think it's important. I think that's a mode of discipleship. It's a mode of living life. Meeting yeah, people. Yeah, and in being in the church too, um, if there's a pastor you trust, I think that can be a good resource too. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, as pastors, it's. Yeah, I don't want to be like harsh, but I think there are some pastors who maybe would be dismissive or maybe it's just not their thing. Maybe they're just not really educated in it, and that's fine. Yeah. Not everyone's going to be educated in this. But if you know a pastor who is or has a personal experience, like come talk to them. Come talk to us. Like I'm my door's always open. Uh, as you if you listen to my story, you would hopefully know that I understand. Yeah. Um so yeah, that's another I think a leader that you know will listen and understand. 
um, even if they haven't been through it, will try and understand. Yeah. Um, another thing, um, reach out to a mental health clinic and you can do a consultation with a professional and make your own decisions. Yeah. Like let's normalize talking to doctors who, yeah. um, you know, four years of undergrad, four years of med school, and then maybe some of them four to six years to specialize in yeah. uh, mental health. Um, they know what they're talking about. Yeah. One of the things that was refreshing when I did go to a psychiatrist, um, that maybe people don't think, maybe they think you, they plug your nose up in your mouth and throw a pill in. Um, it, it is very, very, very driven by you as the patient. Yeah. You can choose to take something, not take something. You can to choose to do whatever you please. The, the ball is in your court and they don't pressure you or strong arm you into anything. And if you just want a consultation, someone who's a professional who knows the signs to look for, who will listen intently, it's great to do a consultation and they're not going to force you in anything. They'll say, this is my opinion. I think this would be helpful for you, but you are the patient. You can choose to take a medication, not take a medication, whatever you please. Um, and I think that's great to have that. Yeah, it's so good. Very important. Um, another thing, you know, is, uh, well, we kind of talked about um, reaching out to a trusted friend and or come talk to us. Um, and I think something that's really cool um, is what kind of goes along with those lines is the power of relationship is huge. Um, it goes a very long way. Um, you know, building that trust, doing life with somebody, you can ask difficult questions yeah. um, and it, that helps. And so uh, one of those things is, if you believe um, that someone is suicidal, ask them directly. And if they are, ask them if they have a plan. Because um, honestly, what happens sometimes is if you ask them if they have a plan, um, it is proven to be uh, an effective way to prevent suicide or to at least um, lower the immediate chance. Yeah. Because research shows a lot of people who have died by suicide like whether they even know things like that, they think that people don't care about them. They believe right. that they're in this by themselves, mm -hmm. and a lot of times people plan these things privately. And so, oh, yeah. if they finally find out, you know, that some if they know that somebody else knows that they're wanting to die by suicide, it kind of puts it off. Yeah. It causes them to like step off the pedestal and yeah. take a breath and realize, oh crap, now somebody knows, and it. I don't know if it, I haven't been in that position. So my assumption is maybe it produces some sort of shame or embarrassment, the stigma that comes along with it. Um, so yeah, ask somebody, ask questions. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm always surprised at how few people realize that this is, this is what therapists are taught. Counselors are taught pastoral. If you take pastoral care or in counseling, this is what you're taught. You directly approach the issue um, and it has, through research, been shown that it just really brings down the possibility of suicide. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, people would think maybe, oh, I'm planting the seed. You're not planting. The seed's there. If the seed's there, the seed's there. Like yep. you said, they're already planting it. They've been thinking about it. And when you expose that more than anything, um, people do feel seen. Um, and I don't know that they feel... I've I've known people who've been confronted who were suicidal and their response to me was always like I felt more seen than anything. Um, I didn't necessarily feel the shame and guilt. That's great. Um, yeah, and that's, I mean, you already feel the shame and guilt before yeah, that. That's like, why you're there. Yeah, I mean, my primary feelings towards other humans when I was not taking medication and therapy was I'm a burden upon the world. 
Uh, I'm useless. Why am I here? Uh, so when it, when someone comes along who's willing to carry that burden with you, it's it's very very helpful. Um, so that might sound odd, but I'd encourage you if if you think someone is, whether that's your child or a sibling or a friend, if you face it head on, that's a huge help. Um, if they have a plan and they have guns, ask if you can take their guns from their house. Um, of course I would consult a professional after that. Yes. Uh, but I know pastors who that's what they've had to do is I, can I take your guns? And almost 95% of the time the people will agree. Um, so just taking the possible instruments away from people and you can only really do that if you find out if they have a plan or not. So I know that's hard. Um, yeah, and that's a lot to take on. But if you are a person who's mentally healthy, it's so important that you help those who aren't and who are struggling through that. Yeah. And so before we end, before Dylan gives out these hotlines again, um, we're going to give you listeners a little sneak peek, give you guys the first taste. So uh, Dylan, myself, and our uh, kids director, Kay, we are like in the process of planning some sort of seminar, um, mainly directed towards parents, um, but not limiting to parents, um, where we're going to just give practical um, like resources and tools and e- equip people uh, to deal with these types of things. Um, warning signs to see in, our, in students and family members, adults, um, and just have like a seminar and some uh, ongoing resources to our parents. Yeah. So we're putting these things together. So if this is something you're struggling with or something you want more uh, information about, please be on the lookout because we will be rolling that out very soon. Our hopes is to kind of get something on the calendar and have this seminar bef- like before the end of May. Yeah. So... We're actually going to be meeting on that uh, here in just a little yeah, bit. So yeah. uh, wanted you guys to know that you guys are the first. Yeah. We're out here dropping yeah. nugs on the yeah. podcast. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> Anyways, <sighs> nugs on the podcast. Yeah, I'm ridiculous. <laughs> so the hotlines again, um, said at the la- uh, end of the last episode, we'll say it again. So there's two that I would suggest. The first, of course, is National Suicide Hotline. Um, and again, whether you're dealing with suicidal thoughts, um, or you're somebody who isn't, but is thinking someone is great resource to call, they can help you immensely. And the number for that is 1-800-273-8255. Again, that's 1-800-273-8255. And then here in Colorado, if you're here, this is a great resource, um, for suicide as well as other mental health stuff. Um, maybe they can find you a clinic or what have you, um, all sorts of um, information and resources. And that's the Colorado Crisis Center, or sorry, C- Colorado Crisis Services, my bad. Uh, the number for that is 1-844-493-8255. Again, 1-844-493-8255. Man, yeah, thank you. Uh, thanks for listening. We know it's a heavy couple of weeks. And at the beginning of the first episode of this series, we ate some Takis because it was oh, yeah. going to be a spicy couple of episodes. And so we figured, you know what, let's just kind of bookend this with a fun little spicy question. And so, Dylan, I'm wondering, what's the spiciest dish you have ever eaten? Oh, gosh. Um, there's a couple. Um, <laughs> there's a place up in Fort Collins. This is the one I always think of. There's a place up in Fort Collins. Um, actually, before that, funny story, really quick. Yeah. Uh, when we lived in Alaska, Seward, Alaska, there was one 
uh, Asian place up there. And I got some sesame chicken. And as a lot of you know who have had sesame chicken, they sometimes will put little hot peppers in there. It's not like a sweet dish. Like if you go to Panda and get orange chicken, that's not sesame chicken. That's orange chicken. Very different. But sesame, they have these little, I don't know if they're Szechuan's or what they are. Um, but I was, I got sesame chicken. I was so excited. I grabbed this first bite. I bit into it, and it was a pepper, Yo. and it blew my mouth <laughs> up. Because you know when you're a little kid, like right. you're way more sensitive to those yeah. things. And you have no idea the seeds. You put the whole thing in your mouth. Yeah, I just took a big old bite, and I my mouth was burning, and I just started crying. <laughs> so that was my first like experience of something very hot. The one thing I think of as an adult is a place in Fort Collins called Consuelos. It's a drive-through now, and I don't think they have the triple X green chili, but they used to have a brick and mortar, and they had a triple X green chili. I used to get medium, and it was really hot, but I was like, dumb college kid, right? So I'm like, I got to try the triple X green chili. So I got it, and I was telling Jacob this. I mean, from like my cheekbones down to the middle of my throat was numb. It was so That's spicy insane. that it just numbed everything. And I, f- stupid, but I finished it. Um, and it was a big burrito. And that's, that just, yeah, that was stupid. And nice. I like spicy things, but not that spicy. Yeah. Uh, my favorite spicy thing is maybe the hottest wings at uh, Oscar Blues. Which leads me into since you did a local and an out of state, I'll do a local and an out of state. So, the hottest thing I've had in Colorado so far is these hot wings at Oscar Blues. We had a young adult uh, hang out one night at Oscar Blues, and my wife, I love you, babe, she ordered these wings. She got the hottest <laughs> flavor. And I look at her, I'm like, babe, you sure? She's like, yeah, I can handle it. I'm like, all right. So, she got those, and I got a burger, and I'm excited because I love hamburgers y'all so mm. i get the food and caroline takes a bite and she's like immediately sweating she's like i can't eat these they're too hot and i'm like all right let's switch <laughs> good like, husband i'm like i love spicy hot wings i can handle it you guys i i do have like a tolerance for spicy but not like super high or anything i took like one bite of these wings and it gave me hiccups immediately oh they're so good they were so hot I was so hungry the rest of the night because I was like, I'm not eating these. Someone else eat them. Uh, Yeah, very hot. So if you go to the Oscar Blues here in Longmont, get the hottest wing sauce you can and report back. Let me know if you like them or not. That was my birthday meal choice a couple years ago. You wild. Um, And then the probably still to this day, the hottest thing that I've ever had was at Prince's Hot Chicken in Memphis, Tennessee. Not sponsored. Sorry, Nashville. (laughs) Nashville. 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 Yeah, not sponsored. Um, (laughs) But obviously Nashville is famous for a lot of things, hot chicken being one of them. There's a few places that everyone is loves and they're craving, like, oh, it's the best hot chicken. Well, they're wrong. Um, the OG Nashville hot chicken is Prince's Hot Chicken. And it's fantastic. It's open to like four in the morning. Like they have cops guarding. Like it's not it's not like the safest spot. <laughs> But it is the best Nashville hot chicken there. And I went up, I ordered, I got the hottest. And the lady behind the cash register was like, you sure, honey? And when you know, when you get, yeah. you sure, honey, you yeah. better rethink. And I'm like, yeah. no, nah, I'm good. Let's try it. Yeah, no. Bad idea. Bad idea. I was not ready, honey. It yeah. was so hot. Um, but it's awesome. It's, you know, deep fried hot chicken. And they put their flavoring, their seasoning on it. And they just serve it with French fries. And they put the chicken on top of white bread, wonder white bread, and two slices of dill pickle. Mm. It is so good. 
but so spicy. So hot. <laughs> yes. Fun. Yeah. Well, that was uh, that was tough, but I'm glad we ended with something fun. Yeah. Um, I hope you like spicy things, Lucas. If you're listening, we know you don't, so it's okay. It's all right. Not everybody likes spicy things. It's <sighs> fine. But anyways, thanks for sticking with us. Um, again, reach out if you uh, want to talk. If you need need someone to talk to, we're here. And if you have suggestions, always feel free to email uh, at the I'm Wondering Podcast at gmail.com. Hit us up Facebook and Instagram. Like, share, comment, review. We appreciate you guys. And I'm Jacob. I'm Dylan. And this is the I'm Wondering Podcast. <laughs>